0: Hello, this is Oral Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. If you like Oral Valley Catholic, give it a like, repost it, spread the good news. Why? Because in Oral Valley Catholic, we talk about the sacred world. What is the sacred world? Well, the sacred world, simply put, is God's world. It's something that includes, but is more than the world that we perceive. And so in the sacred world... God made it all. God made angels. Angels, at the moment of their creation, turned to the good or turned away from the good. Uh, God made the world that uh, we perceive. It's the world that the occult tries to to come to terms with outside of Christianity. You cannot desacralize the world. The world is, by its nature, sacred. We can in the modern world, in the secular world, in a world dominated uh, by uh, atheistic ways of thinking, even if not uh, overtly atheistic, it's the world that excludes or marginalizes the sacred. The sacred does not leave. It's just the human person who is incapable of coming to terms with their own experience of the sacred. So, in Oro Valley Catholic today, let's talk about Jesus, how he saves us. And I would propose to you, my friends, that there's at least three models given in the scriptures for the 30th Sunday of ordinary time. They are that Jesus is the high priest, the bridge builder, the great pontifex that connects humanity back to the sacred and roots it again in God and God's world, and that's the first or the second reading from the letter to the Hebrews, where the author, who we don't know who it is, although traditionally it's been assigned to St. Paul, but the, the author says, brothers and sisters, every high priest is taken from among men and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal patiently with the ignorant and erring, for he himself is beset by weakness. And so for this reason, must make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor upon himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And in the same way, not identical, but metaphorically, it was not Christ who glorified himself in becoming high priest, but rather the one who said to him, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. Just as he says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So in Hebrews, the high priest is not an heir to the high priesthood of Aaron, as uh, the author talks about in Hebrews, but goes back to Melchizedek in the book of Genesis, this pure form of priesthood. This king and this priest who was from the town of Salem, that is, shalom of peace. This is the priesthood of Jesus, who doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself, but he is the bridge builder for us so how does jesus save us us? jesus connects to the transcendent world into a world that you and i live in though intellectually we can accede to the sacred world somehow we just have difficulty dwelling within it the second way that these readings present us as jesus our savior is rabboni because that's how the man in the, the gospel, Bartimaeus calls Jesus teacher, master. And then the third way is that Jesus is the new Moses. He's this future savior prophesied by Jeremiah chapter 31. That's the first reading where Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, shout with joy for Jacob, exalt at the head of the nations, proclaim your praise and say, The Lord has delivered his people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them back from the land of the north. I will gather them from the ends of the world with the blind and the lame in their midst. And so Jeremiah, who lives at the time of the Babylonian captivity, isn't just saying that the Lord will bring the Judahoi, the Jews, back from Babylon, which is to the east of of Jerusalem. He's going to bring the people back from the north. The north was the land of Manasseh and Ephraim and the lost ten tribes. It is where Jesus begins his ministry. And so Jesus, the new Moses, the one that leads. And that's why in the gospel, when Bartimaeus recovers his sight, he follows Jesus on the way. You know, in the sacred world, you and I live through our religion. Religion is a way that connects us to the sacred world. Something very distorted to reduce religion to merely the moral. The Kerygma is about Jesus the high priest, Jesus the teacher, Jesus the new Moses. The Kerygma are those four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Saint Paul, the letter to the, to the Hebrews, These are theology, these are theological ways in an inspired way of talking about the charisma, and connecting Jesus the high priest, Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the new Moses with the prophecies of the Old Testament. It's sacred history, it's sacred teaching. It's connecting us to how God the sacred works in our world. You know a really good example of it that we don't talk about very much? but is a teaching called the Didache, which is the teaching of the Twelve Apostles to the Gentiles. And I'm going to talk about that when we get back. (music) The Didache, or the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, which is an instruction of the Lord given to the heathen by the Twelve Apostles, the English word heathen is the people who live out in the country, the, he, the heath, those that are uncultured. How do you bring a lawless people, the Gentile, into a lawful relationship with God, a relationship of justification, making you right, righteousness, just living? Well, the Didache is how you take what was considered the inspired word of the New Testament, And it's a catechism. It's the very first in a long line of catechisms in Christianity. And the reason I want to talk about the Didache is because of the way that it talks about how it is that you follow God, how you follow Christ. And so what the Didache says is that there are two ways, and I'm going to read you from the Didache. This is the very beginning. It's a short document. You can find it online, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. Two ways there are, one of life and one of death. There is a great difference between the two ways. Now, the way of life is this. First, love the God who made you. Secondly, your neighbor is yourself. Do not do to another what you do not wish to be done to yourself. As you follow the beginning of the Didache, it's everything that you've heard. It's a place where abortion is mentioned. It's, uh, it's about living a lawful sexual life, a life of care for others, uh, how you treat other people. But then in the fifth part of the book, the dedicate, and this is a modern way of, of, of breaking it up for our reference, because in those days there were no spaces, commas, periods, or anything else. They, it just ran, all the words ran together. But you knew it was talking about the second way. If the first way is the way of life, the second way is the way of death. And here's what the dedicate says. The way of death is this. First of all, it is wicked and altogether accursed, murders, adulteries, lustful desires, fornications, thefts, idolatries, magical arts, sorceries, robberies, false testimonies, hypocrisy, duplicity, fraud, pride, malice, surliness, covetousness, foul talk, jealousy, rashness, haughtiness, false pretensions, the lack of the fear of God. It is the way of persecutors of the good, haters of the truth, lovers of falsehood, of men ignorant of the reward for right living, not devoted to what is good. You know what's interesting about the Didache is first is the way that it catechizes. There are these two ways because in the gospel it's about Bartimaeus following jesus on the road following jesus on the way and the gospel today is the culmination of those three chapters marks 8 9 and 10 which is about discipleship and it's about following jesus we think sometimes religion is being merely the moral but religion is following a person imitating a person our understanding of morality how we think of it it is how we think of truth but by following Jesus we experience the good which you can never get simply from a rule we experience the truth and the truth is a person it's not simply propositions so catechisms the scriptures they all serve a purpose a very important purpose but at the end there's two ways you can walk you can walk following Jesus or use your imagination But the Didache didn't make this up, nor does the Gospels. In Deuteronomy 28, when Moses lays the covenant out for the people in the Torah, do you remember Deuteronomy is the last of the five books of the Torah? He puts half the people up on one hill, half the people up on another. One half recites the blessings that Israel will have if it observes God's law, the other half of the people recite the curses that will come upon the people if they do not follow the law. And the law is the halakha. It's the path. It's the way. It's what you live to be a human being. It's picked up by Jesus, who is a very deeply Mosaic teacher, in his Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6. In Luke 6, you remember, it's different than the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew it's the same material that Luke is using. But how Luke uses it and presents it, it's about the two ways, just like in the Didache. This is fundamental Christian teaching from the first century. And so in Luke, he says, blessed are the poor, and this is, woe to you rich. It's the two ways. And so the Didache, how we think about what, what the Gospel of Mark means when it says that Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way. It's in this context of Christian preaching. You know, an interesting side note on the Didache, and I love transgression, I love um, side notes, is, you know, it's one of the first Eucharistic prayers about blessed are you vine of David. It doesn't sound like our Eucharistic prayers, but clearly it's the prayers surrounding the Eucharist in the first century, scholars believe that the Didache in whole, or at least in part, may go back to the year 40 or the 60s, because in the Didache, they have bishops and they have deacons, but presbyters, that is the priests, are not mentioned. And it looks as if from Scripture that the presbyter the presbyterate, the priesthood, was the third part of holy orders that came along as the as the church developed. And so it says. By absenting discussion of the presbyterate when you talk about the Eucharist or anything else, it says the Didache's origins are before the, the presbyterate, the priesthood um, became a part of, the, uh, a strong part of the church. Another thing about the Eucharist, there is no institution narrative in the Didache. It's in Paul. It's in all the Gospels. But they think that because it was a catechism, that the Eucharist was the mystery that was reserved to discuss with the catechized. So one of the big reasons they think the Didache is a catechism, it's how you teach and initiate people into the Christian faith, the Gentiles, early on. Because the Gentiles are the people that don't have the Jewish law. They don't know the Jewish law. So if you read the Didache, it basically takes the essential parts of the Jewish law that Christianity brings forward and puts it in a a way that you can give to a community and they can teach. It's really one of the most interesting documents that comes to us out of the early church. And so think about this. There are two ways. Even today there are two ways. You can walk in a sacred world that is a whole world that is God's world, or you can walk in a world where you marginalize the sacred. The truth is, there's only one world, and it's all God's world. We divide it up and and compartmentalize our lives, but every moment of every day that we live, we live in the supernatural world. There's a reason that the occult is growing in America that people are worried about ghosts, we have vampire and zombie stories, Wiccan witches and all of the rest. It's because when Christians don't make present the sacred world by how they teach and how they live, something else is going to move in and that something else is not going to be pleasant. So the Didache, Catechism, how we think of the way, it's how we perceive the world this is why your Catholic faith is important. It helps you to understand the way the world really is. Let's turn to the scriptures. The Old Testament, the prophecies of Jeremiah, the Gospel of Mark is deep, deep, deep in the Hebrew scriptures, especially Jeremiah and Isaiah. So in that first reading, it's about God himself coming to call the people back from the north because the last ten tribes had been lost three centuries before Jeremiah uh, wrote. But the Jewish people had never forgot their brothers, the other tribes of Israel, and the belief that God was just and God would call them back. Jeremiah, in other parts of his, of his prophecies, talks about God bringing the people back from Babylon. That would be the Jews to the east, And that's really what the Psalm 126 is about. It's a psalm of praise as the Jewish people come back from Babylon. And the the king helps them to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. And so it says, When the Lord brought the captives back from Zion, we were like men dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with rejoicing. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. Why? Because the prophecies come true. Why is the early church so excited about Jesus and his resurrection? It isn't just this guy lived and he died and he rose from the dead. That's exciting enough. But it's the fulfillment of this whole sacred plan that gives meaning to history and all the struggles of the Jewish people and the Gentiles that will come into communion with them uh, in God. So... A communion to be realized, I understand, imperfectly realized in uh, the perfection of the Eucharist today. So let's talk about Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging on hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, Jesus is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to a Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. So let's just go through this line by line and talk about it. The first line is Jesus was leaving Jericho. You know, Jericho's down in the, I think it's the Rift Valley. It's one of the lowest points on earth, near the Dead Sea. I've actually been to Jericho. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which is up in the mountains. And so the geography of the scriptures, Jesus is going from the lowest point that you can be and taking you to the highest point. The way isn't just that Jesus is going from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a metaphor. It's an image of how it is that you follow the new Moses, the high priest, the teacher to heaven to the transcendent experience of the divine. Religion is not only about morality. It's how you share divine life. So it says Bartimaeus is a blind man, so he can't see. What's interesting about that, if you remember in chapters eight, nine, and 10 Mark, it begins with the healing of a blind man, ends with the healing of the blind man. If you remember back in chapter eight, the healing is a man that Jesus heals in two stages. The first stage, the man says, well, I can see, but it's like people walking like, looking like trees. Then Jesus does it again, and then the man can see clearly. So, is Jesus underpowered in that healing, but at full strength when he's healing Bartimaeus? Is there something wrong with the first blind man's faith? No. Discipleship is about how you come to sight, and it comes in stages. You take people where they are, and they begin to grow. And when I say when they take people where they are, and we begin to grow. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about me. We're like that first blind man. But the second story about Bartimaeus the blind man is Jesus just asks him what he wants. The blind man knows what he wants, tells him what he wants. He can't give it to himself, and Jesus says, be healed, and he is healed and he, his faith has saved him. Faith is trust in Jesus. This is the saving move here in Mark, number uh, the Gospel 10. Who's really being taught here? How about the disciples? And so let's look at how the disciples are acting because I always like to think uh, you wanna take your place in the scriptures. I don't think we're often Jesus. Often enough, we are the blind man. More often, we're the disciples. And so let's pay attention to how these yokels act. So here's this poor man. He knows what he wants. Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. He's calling on Jesus as the messianic figure. Jesus, the new Moses. Jesus, the high priest. Jesus, the teacher. Jesus, the Messiah. It's all here um, in, in this gospel of Mark. And how the disciples act uh, do they bring him? Yes, yes, this is exactly what we disciples do. We bring people to Jesus. No, that is not what they do. And so they tell him to rebuke him. Shut up, be silent. But he just kept calling out more in his poverty, in his need, because he knew he needed. Do you know what you need? Do you know what you really want? And so he called out the blind man. Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus, stopped and said call him the word is kaleo to call did you know that the word the greek word in the gospels for the church is ecclesia the root is kaleo which means to be called so like ecclesia ek, like an exit you're going to leave in an exit ecclesia is to be called out this is what the church is He's calling the man into union with him to be his risen body. This is how we understand what it means to follow the way of Jesus. And so in this is the root of what the church is. It's a call to the world to come and follow uh, the master, the high priest. And so the disciples, what do they do? They turn on a dime because Jesus is watching. So they called the blind man saying to him take courage get up jesus is calling you so who are you are you keeping people away from jesus by how you treat them how you act how you talk to them are you inviting people to follow jesus this is something that each of us has to think about priests how many people have run away from the church because of priests and nuns how many people have run away from the church because how the lady treated them Yeah, we are like the disciples walking down this road with Jesus. So it says that Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, threw aside his cloak, sprang up and came to Jesus, the sound of his voice, because remember he's blind. And Jesus said to him in reply, what do you want me to do for you? Because Jesus already knows the guy's blind for heaven's sake. But when we come to Jesus, we have to be able to acknowledge our own need. This is at the heart of the discipleship. It's why in his three passion predictions, when Jesus talks about his suffering and death, mostly the disciples just ignore him, just crickets. But the blind man knows what he wants. This is the power of prayer. We ask for all sorts of stuff, thinking if we get it, we'll be happy. If my son is happy, I'll be happy. If my daughter's happy, I'll be happy. If I get whatever it is, I'll be happy. You know, running through all of that is what we really want. And we have to think about that. Because when we pray for things that only make us happy in this world, somehow we're praying in a world that we have desacralized. We have marginalized God's world. What is it that you really want when you pray? What are you thinking about? I guess I want the people I know and love to be with God because that's the safest place for them. St. Therese of Lisieux said, when I go to God, I go with empty hands because if my hands are full of what I want. He can't give me anything at all. And so when we pray and hold our hands up to God, we pray with empty hands. This is what it means to follow along the way, believing he'll provide for you as you follow. And so the blind man replied when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Master, the word he uses is "raboni." So high priest, raboni knew Moses leading the people. Master, I want to see. raboni. I want to see. And Jesus told him, go your way. Your faith has saved you. So he can go do whatever he wants. So Jesus has risen from the dead. Hey, you can go do whatever you want with that. This man chose the life of faith. Immediately, it said he received his sight, and followed him on the way. The dedicate, you know, do whatever you want. There's at least two paths. Everybody says there's so many paths to God. I say if there's eight billion people on the planet, there's eight billion ways to God. But there is only one Jesus, where the divine meets the human, and to accept the incarnation of Christ is to accept the sanctity, the sacredness of the world. You know, the venerable Bede from England in, in uh, the early medieval age, he said, uh, God can't give you anything unless you acknowledge your need. You know, I talk to young people who struggle. I talk to everybody that struggles. You know, and I think the advantage of getting older is you can look back on your life and recognize that God was always giving you what you need. You just didn't recognize it on the, at the time. Your eyes weren't open. You weren't following along the way the right way. So to believe that really it's there. And in prayer, you get to see the world that God sees, the sacred world that you live in and will always live in. And so let's bring this to a conclusion with some wise thoughts for the, those who care for something wise. So have you heard about the nuns? And the nuns are this fast-growing spiritual space uh, where people don't trust organized religion. They don't want to sit in the pews with us. Uh, they have this idea that they can pray and God will hear them. Uh, they'll, they'll get what they need. And I always think, you know, maybe they treat God like an ATM machine, but um, quickly enough, God proves not to be an ATM machine. They know they're supposed to be good. Uh, well, that's good. Morality is, is important if it's, if it's formed about love of God and love of neighbor. And um, they believe they're going to go to heaven. So, all right, I, I hope that's true. I hope it's true for all of us. But the growth of the nuns is, in a very important sense, a refusal to acknowledge the sacred world that God is calling his people out of this world. Remember, ecleo, Ecclesia, to be called out. That to respond to the church is to respond to the call of Jesus, echoing through time. What happens when people don't respond to the church? Well, you see it. In the secular world, it's supposed to be so scientific. How many people don't even accept science or science speaks with such a fractured voice of the disunity of it all? Just undermines the work, uh, especially say with vaccines in our country, whether it just seems to be such radical disagreements about things that we accept are just, you know, supposedly science. But if the world has been desacralized in the minds of seculars or even in the nuns, I say the world hasn't become less sacred. It's that the sacred is marginalized in people's consciousness, in their actions, how they think about the meaning of their lives. So that question which Jesus asked, that question he asks even now as these other odd forms of spirituality, the occult, uh, kind of rise up around us. is. What you really want is power to get what you want in this world? Because Jesus really isn't offering that. That's why people turn to magic and all this other stuff that the dedicate condemns, because it was a powerful part of that, uh, that uh, Greco-Roman uh, world. What do you need? Do you need a high priest? That's a bridge between you and the divine. Do you need a teacher to tell you the truth? Do you need someone who you can trust and follow? Because if that's the case, then Jesus fits the bill. Think about that this week. Think about who you're following this week. God bless you. Until next time, we meet again.